right day 266 welcome back to the windows and Rings podcast my name is keith and remember this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the bible is more like a window than it is a mirror we come to it to see through it and to see god not to it to primarily look at it and see ourselves all right so today we're back in uh acts chapter 13 working our way through uh luke's uh, narration part two uh, of the early church and the apostolic age and how the gospel went from again uh, uh, or the Christian community went from being uh, a small Jewish sect to a worldwide religion in less than 30 years so Acts 13 <clears throat> picks up and many have noted it marks a shift in the book right so the first 12 chapters my man Peter is the protagonist he is the main actor everything is kind of following Peter's every move here now it's paul right remember we talked about last time how paul comes on the scene in acts chapter 9 and here paul is the guy and so the text in chapter 13 is going to talk about paul and silas's first or barnabas and, and, and paul's excuse me uh first missionary journey so it says as they were worshiping the lord and fasting the holy spirit said set apart for me barnabas and saul for the work to which i have called them then after they had fasted prayed and laid hands on them they sent them off so they sail down to an area called Seleucia and eventually end up in Cyprus. And once they get to an area, once they're uh, uh, um, in, in Cyprus, they go to a place called Salamis, Salamis. And they enter the synagogue to preach the gospel. And one of the things that you're going to see all throughout the book of Acts, if you haven't picked up on it already, listen, is that this is the pattern for the gospel. Right. What do I mean? Well, they go to the synagogue first, right? They always go to the Jews first. Why? Because according to Paul, remember Romans chapter one, verse 16, he says, for I'm unashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Check this to the Jew first, then to the Greek. So notice in this text, they are going to the Jews. Why? Because a restored Israel was supposed to restore the world, right? They were supposed to be the ones who take the gospel to the world. So Paul is in line with the Old Testament. Right now, in the midst of all this, he runs into this false prophet named Bar Jesus. Right, cat was a sorcerer, a magician, and in these days, this was not harmless. This was dark. Right, Paul will call him a son of the devil. Right, because he most likely had, uh, according to scholars, uh, influence, uh, demonic influence. And this dude is trying to turn believers away from the faith. Right, and Paul strikes him, and guess what? The guy becomes blind. Right, and I think one of the takeaways for us is that we uh, as we go about on mission for the gospel wherever the lord has placed us we will face opposition yes right but more specifically we will face those who are false prophets and false teachers and i miss paul will talk about this again in the pastoral epistles to titus and timothy right like there will be uh, uh, false teachers in our midst in the one of the tasks of the church is to distinguish truth and heresy. Right. This is why we're so big on this on this podcast about helping you learn the Bible. Right. Because we don't want anyone to be led astray from there. They keep it moving, <clears throat> going to more synagogues. And at the end of 13, we have Paul in Pisidia, Antioch, in the synagogue, preaching the gospel. And I love the way that Paul preaches and handles the text. Why? Because he is sensitive to the redemptive historical movement of scripture. He is sensitive to the storyline of the text and shows that God has always been trying to covenant with a people for himself. And in and, and the coming of Christ, in the work of Christ, is a fulfillment of all of, the God, all of God's promises in the Old Testament. And again, Paul preaches the gospel from the Old Testament, right? We should be able to preach the gospel from the Old Testament. Why? Because it's all about the same God. It's all about the same person, the Lord Jesus Christ. He says this, therefore, let it be known to you, verse 38, uh, brothers and sisters, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is being proclaimed to you. Everyone who believes is justified through him from everything that you cannot be justified from through the law of Moses. 
right? I love it. He leaves off the invitation and he says, no, basically, this is how you preach the gospel. If you want to know how to preach the gospel, uh, read the book of Acts, right? Jews in this uh, particular chapter see the buzz getting on in the city. They get mad and they seek to oppose Paul and Barnabas. Now, Paul and Barnabas, on the other hand, are like, no worries. It was necessary that we come to y'all first. But now we're going to go to the Gentiles. Verse 48, when the Gentiles heard this, they rejoiced and honored the word of the Lord and all who had been appointed to eternal life believed. So you see just the sovereignty of God. You see like, no, 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 the Jews are still rejecting the gospel, just like they rejected their Messiah. And now it's opening the door for the Gentiles. And you just see the God's sovereign hand, right? He uh, uh, appointed, right? All who had, he had been, appo who had been appointed to eternal life actually believe. I, I love it because like it takes the burden off of us as we go out to labor for the work of the gospel. All we do is plant seeds. All we do is is, is open our mouths and we let God do the heavy lifting and drawing people in. Acts 14 comes. Folks reject them into 13. And what we see in 14 is they shake the dust off their feet. Just like Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, they go to Iconium. And listen, Iconium is 90 miles by road southeast. Right. So imagine, fam, they didn't have Nikes, New Balances or Delta, fam, in 90 miles <laughs> like this is wild, <laughs> right they was built different right this is how compelled they were for the gospel <clears throat> now they get to iconium luke tells us it's business as usual in the synagogues preaching the gospel of jesus christ some jews and greeks believed but some of the believing unbelieving jews once again stirred up gentiles and thus made a plot to have these guys stoned so they flee to an area called lystra and derby Right. They go to Lystra and Derby. They're preaching the gospel. They get mistaken as gods. Right. Zeus and Hermes, Greek goddesses, Greek pagan gods um, <clears throat> in, 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 uh, in Lystra and Derby. And the folks try to worship them. All right. All this stuff. And what's so dope is that they are in a city with no synagogues, a pagan territory. And what do they do? They change up the way in which they preach the gospel. Now, this is another thing you're going to see in the book. of Acts. Listen, the way we, like we don't we don't change the gospel. Right. But where we are changes the way we preach the gospel notice the, the the language he used he's like yo we people just like you we're proclaiming good news to you right then that, that you turn from these worthless things into the living god notice he ain't talking about the old testament at all who made the heaven and the earth the sea everything in them in past generations he allowed all the nations to go their own way although he didn't leave himself without a witness since he did what is good by giving you rain from heaven and fruitful seasons and filling you with food and your hearts with joy so what paul does here i love it he appeals to something called general revelation right based Basically, that God has made himself known clearly through what he has made. Romans chapter one, the invisible God has made himself known by visible creation. Um, I love it because one theologian says that uh, all people are born with the census divinitas, right? A sense of the divine. Why? Because it is something innately in us that testifies that there is more than what we can see with our own eyes, right? And Paul is appealing to general revelation. He is appealing to that census divinitas within human beings, all right? And they prove this is true because, listen, they have a knowledge of some kind of God, right? They're like, no, no, Zeus, Hermes, right? They have all of these kind of um, frameworks, and, and, and Paul is playing on their plausibility structures. And he says, no, 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 don't look to what you can see, but also realize there's someone providing sustenance for you, rain, right? Fruitful seasons, all these, the uniformity of nature, all these things didn't just randomly appear by a blind impersonal force, right? Or are the product of these local deities that you guys have fashioned in your own image but are from the god of 
the universe. We have to not change the gospel, but one of the things Acts is going to show us again is that we have to contextualize it, right? I don't know where you are. I don't know uh, uh, what neighborhood you live in. I don't know what kind of people are around you, but you, it is your job to take the very unadulterated, unchanging, eternal truths of the gospel and contextualize it for the situation and the place God has put you in his plan of history. Acts 15 comes. Jerusalem Council. This is one of the most pivotal uh, uh, chapters in the book. You have what is called the Jerusalem Council, and um, it sets the precedent for how believing Jews, hear this, ought to relate to believing Gentiles going forward from this moment, right? And this is the last time we'll see Peter, right? Now, from here for for real, for real, right? It's going to be uh, Paul's show. Now, it starts in Antioch where cats pull up talking crazy, saying, yo, unless you're circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. So Paul and Bar Barnabas get into it. Now, remember, before the advent of Christ, right? According to the Genesis 17, according to texts like Exodus 12, right? To show that you were part of the covenant people, Israel, you had to be circumcised on the eighth day. Even if you were a Gentile, right? And you wanted to come amongst God's people, you had to be circumcised. Circumcision was what visibly set people apart as God's people. And what the council will show us is not like, no, no, no. Now it's faith in the Messiah. <laughs> no, no. It's not just about Torah observance. It's about faith in the messiah now they get everybody gets to jerusalem they dab each other up and the pharisees are still wild and they act in all the stream right they talking about how god is at work among the gentiles right they got to be circumcised and keep the law of moses so notice what they're saying they're like no no, no. like god is at work among the gentiles but they still got to be circumcised and they have to keep torah in order to be saved ultimately right and peter paul and james all testify to why this isn't True. Paul, uh, Peter says they received the spirit. Paul says God had testified to our work among them with sign and wonders. James goes to the text to show that, no, 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 this isn't just experiential, but this is also exegetical, right? He pulls up Amos chapter 9, verses 11 and 12. And what I love about this is that they affirm that Gentiles and Jews are both saved in the same way, right? Two different people groups are saved by the one Christ, the one Messiah. Nothing else is needed for them to be in a saving relationship with God and nothing else is needed to, for them to be with in fellowship and in with uh, in covenant with the people of God. I love it because the practical application for us is that we need to proclaim the same message. Yes, but subtly we can fall into the same trap of making faith out to be such a thing that it is shaped by cultural which we would say are theological norms. In other words, we'll say, no, no, if you don't vote this way, you're not actually a Christian. <laughs> no, no, if you don't actually protest like this, you're not actually a Christian. No, 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 you endorse this political figure or this public figure, then you're actually not a Christian, right? And and, and we stuff <clears throat> so much religious significance into those things that we make necessary for fellowship in our covenant communities and uh, fellowship with the, the risen Christ. And God is saying, no, no, in this context, he said, no, no, Gentiles don't have to become Jews in order to be Christians, right? God saves them as Gentiles. God doesn't want them to uh, remove their ethnicity, their cultural heritage or any of those things. God is saying, I actually want to redeem that very thing. And it's y'all's job in light of those differences to still get along. Why? Because the thing that unites you guys is so much more greater and ultimate than the things that divide you. Acts 16. <clears throat> in the 15, we have what is called the, the, the second missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas, uh, where they disagree about some of the things and they went separate ways. Right. Paul goes back to Lystra and Derby, scoops up a young biracial kid by the name of Timothy, who was also a disciple. Right. His mother was a Jew. His pops was a Greek. He circumcises him out 
of uh, not out of uh, precept, right, but out of prudence, right? So it's interesting because they were just arguing about circumcision in Acts 15, and here Paul actually circumcises Timothy. Um, now, the reason he did it is because um, he's like, no, it would be actually a better missionary evangelistic tactic, right, for the communities, the Jewish communities that I'm actually going to. So they end up in Philippi, uh, which is a city in the province of Macedonia. Now, we are going to have these two stories back to back that I think Luke is is, is trying to uh, subtly show us how the gospel messes with our pockets. Remember, uh, possessions are a major theme in Luke. Remember uh, uh, um, the gospel of Luke 8, Luke 8, Luke 12, Luke 18, right? So many texts, uh, Acts 2, Acts 4, right? So many texts that talk about possessions and money. And Luke is um, <clears throat> going to hit on some of those things here. So he, so Paul meets this man named, or this woman named Lydia, <clears throat> and she was a dealer in purple cloth. Now, in those days, this was a fine good, right? She was most likely uh, wealthy, very wealthy. And the region she was from was famous for its very expensive purple dye. So you know, if she's selling it, then she really got bread. You feel me? And so what we see here in this text is that the Lord opened her heart to believe, right? It's so interesting because regardless of who we come across, we are obedient in the call to preach the gospel, right? And we let God do the heavy lifting, as I said before. And he is the one that opens hearts to respond to the gospel, right? So you see a rich woman. Now, now Jesus will say, no, no, it's difficult. A camel go through the eye of a needle before a rich person go to the, uh, into the kingdom, right? So Jesus is, not, Jesus is not down on wealth. He's just saying that wealth can really keep us, keep our hearts, right? It has this gravitational pull on hearts that can keep us from God. Now, Lydia believes, right? So we see that the gospel can transcend all that, right? Um. <clears throat> But right after this in the narrative, so good, such a stark juxtaposition. Uh, Paul and the disciples meet a slave girl who was making some folks a ton of money in this region by her fortune telling. And Paul casts a demon out of her. And look what the text says. It says, when her owners realized that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. Listen, if your sole good or goal in life is to make a profit, then you will go against the advancement of the gospel. You will. You will you you will go against the advancement of the gospel. But if you really come into contact with the living God, uh, one indication of that is that you use your resources for the advancement of the gospel. You see the stark juxtaposition in these texts. And I love what Luke is trying to show us about how uh, the gospel messes with our bank account. The irony uh, is that the end of this text, Paul Listen, him and the other disciples, they suffer from persecution, police brutality in our language, uh, unjustly for preaching the gospel. And in the ancient world, this took place here in Acts chapter 16, and they get put in jail, right? Paul and other, uh, and Silas. And so the, and they get put in jail, but an earthquake comes. And what is crazy um, is that Paul goes to jail for spreading the gospel. And in him going to jail, it actually leads to him spreading the gospel even more, right? So he goes to jail, an earthquake comes, the Lord uh, by his spirit breaks them out and the Philippian jailer gets saved with his entire household. I think we learn once again that Acts keeps shows us on, on and on and on, over and over and over, that nothing can stifle the spirit of God that is at work. Why? Because the spirit of God is the spirit of the risen Christ and Christ has said that he is going to build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your spirit that nothing can impede the progress of the gospel. Nothing is the greatest threat to the gospel. Father, I pray that that wouldn't be in our vocabulary. I pray that we would join in on the mission that the spirit uh, has accomplished uh, in the world.